The Why I'll Never Make It podcast presents the Spotlight Series, an in-depth look at those making a difference in the arts and beyond. Welcome back to the Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is part two of our look at the nonprofit organization Only Make Believe that brings interactive theater into hospitals and care facilities for children. In part one, I talked with Broadway producer and founder of OMB, Dina Hammerstein. In this episode, I sit down with Jackie Miller, artistic director of the acting company, and two of its actors, Dan Dominguez and Jeanette Bonner. As with every nonprofit, fundraising and outreach are an essential component of their time and focus. And every year on the first Monday of November, OMB holds its annual gala, a night of songs and entertainment from some of the brightest stars on Broadway. But at its core, Only Make Believe is all about the children, reaching them through the imagination and wonder of theater. Every week, actors like Dan and Jeanette, who also juggle acting careers outside of OMB, go into hospitals and interact directly with children using costumes, props, and their own imaginations to create a world far removed from their daily routine of medical care and rehabilitation. Under the direction of Jackie Miller, the actors of OMB reach children in a very unique and tangible way that aid not only in their physical well-being, but also nourish them mentally and emotionally. I am so glad and so grateful that Jackie, Dan, and Jeanette sat down with me to talk about this wonderful organization. All right, well, I'm in the offices of Only Make Believe, and joining me is Jackie, the artistic director, Jeanette and Dan, who are two of the actors. I would like for each of you to introduce yourselves and how you got involved with OMB and how long you've been with them. I will go first. Jackie, please go first. <laughs> okay. I am the artistic director. I have been with Only Make Believe for seven and a half years which is hard to believe, That's but as I'm sure you'll soon know, <laughs> the norm around here, people really care about the work and stay for a really long time. Uh, in my role as the artistic director, I manage the New York Acting Company. Um, we currently have 18 performers in New York City, and I also oversee the development of new scripts as we enter them into our repertoire, which currently has 14 shows. Mm -hmm. And I also manage the relationships with each of our upwards of 50 facilities throughout all five boroughs into parts of Westchester, the Metro New Jersey area to make sure that the performances we're providing are the best fit for their population because we service quite a wide variety Absolutely. of yeah. children. And, and yeah, we're definitely gonna talk a lot about the facilities that you go into and the children especially. Jeanette, you are one of the, the actors that she oversees. I, I am. I have an <laughs> dun, 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 overseeing dun, dun, actor. Dun. <laughs> um, I joined Only Make Believe in 2013. Um, my good friend Dave She is another actor that's been with Only Make Believe for 10 years? Almost 11, I think. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of those conversations that actors have all the time, which is sort of like, how do you make it work? What do you do for income? Or, you know, just like, what were you up to this afternoon? Something, stuff like that. And when he was telling me 
uh, that this was one of his jobs. I was like, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, it sounds way more fun uh, than, you know, job. working. Yeah, certainly the doing temp work or catering. Um, but I also really loved the idea that you could, there's such a separation between what we, what we do for our day job work and what we do that fills our souls, our acting work. And right. this, I was like, oh my gosh, not only you get to do theater, you get to give back to the community with theater and it pays you at the same time. So, um, I can't tell you're an actor at all. <laughs> not at all. Right? I'm very introverted. Don't you love that? I, I know. I, I hope She's this so podcast, reserved. hope this podcast will really bring out your personality. <laughs> We're going to get it back. It's going to be like, Jeanette's all edited out. <laughs> she wasn't even in the room. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, so it sounded like, um, it'd be a great fit for me. I love working with kids. I love, uh, improv mm-hmm. and it played a lot to my skills. Absolutely. So that's, that's the way I found myself here. All right, Dan, you're up. Uh-oh. All right, yes. Well, my full name is Dan Dominguez. Yes. And I have been with Only Make Believe, I think I just uh, had my 11-year anniversary. Okay. 11 Congrats. years. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I had a similar story uh, to Jeanette's experience where I was having lunch with a friend of mine, Vivia Font, who has been with Only right. Make Believe. You know Vivia? I, I, I know the name. Yeah. I've seen it. She's yeah. been with Only Make Believe even longer than I have. And she was going to graduate school and we were sort of having a farewell lunch date, and she told me about this job that she was giving up to go to graduate school where she got to perform for kids in hospitals. And I was at a point, I was at sort of a, a, a lull in my career. There wasn't an awful lot happening. I needed a day job yeah. badly, and she described what she did, and I thought it was a fantastic way to, like Jeanette said, stay out of a nine to five office job, to contribute, to give back, to still be an actor, still call myself an actor. Um, and so I, she referred me and I auditioned and uh, was doing shows four months later, however long it took. <laughs> so. Editors know Vivia has come back. So people return to Only Make Believe as nice. working actors mm-hmm. after you know, major career events, either going grad school or leaving town to do a show. She's currently a member now. Yeah. Well, since we're going around the table, I have been with Only Make Believe. <laughs> Yay, since, we since, love Patrick. Yeah, since 2010. Mm. So this is now eight years. Wow. And I too have come and gone as, I, as I've done acting jobs and I come back and volunteer and do this and that. I was on staff for like a short amount of time. <gasps> I got paid. Plot twist. I know. I actually <laughs> I thought you were mine. always a volunteer. I know, I know. Plot twist. Yeah, wow. I was actually on staff. So I'm a little biased. Wow. <laughs> right. Love it. But, uh, but yeah, I started out just doing random office work. And then I found kind of my niche, kind of like this podcast, doing media, audio, pictures, website, just kind of the regular media consultant, I believe, was my name. Mm. That was mm. the name I was getting. You know, the title means everything. Oh, a title. Yeah. I wasn't just volunteer. No, no, no. I was media <laughs> consultant. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was very. Um, but now I basically just do kind of their red carpet events, which is, I'm all about that. So I actually want to start with Jackie and just kind of talk about being artistic director, mm. what is it that that you do with relation to the actors mm. and putting them in the hospitals? How does that uh, coordination happen? Sure. So it's quite a big program. I bet. Uh, we are in New York City as well as Washington, D.C. So my scope of making sure everything runs smoothly is in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have upwards of 370 to 380 shows a year. Wow. We are 12 months of the year. So and how, how many of those do you guys do? 
Are you a part a of it? <laughs> it depends on availability. It depends on what other actors are available. So, because you uh, said you had eighteen currently. Currently, eighteen in the New York. Company. And it just rotates as who who can make whatever show. Is that? Or well, we're very glad for new technology. Right. It's made my <laughs> life, um, and I should say, my colleague Patrice Christou, who is our production manager, is my right hand in everything that happens. This it's a big program, right. um, but we are a nonprofit, and we don't charge the facilities for the program. So a balance to that is remaining nimble and lean, and a small staff. So we have a significant size program but you know small but mighty right behind right, the scenes right so when it comes to your question about the journey from an actor being rehearsed in the office and onboarded as a company member to being in a hospital i mean it's many stages yeah uh, but the the day-to-day logisticizing i guess oh, of that oh wow Ooh. that's a very you business word is, in the office. yeah yeah that's not an actor word um <laughs> no, is, that's not an actor i'm gonna word. give a shout out because um we're very lucky to have it donated when i work is a calendaring software and all of our actors are able to put in their availability to oh, nice. this platform. Um, like Dan was recently out of town for a gig for some time. Jeanette is in the middle of producing a film. I, yeah. Our actors are working actors. And so we ask them for their availability. And then I should back up a step. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I think yeah, it's helpful yeah. for people to yeah. know um, that our program is once a week for six weeks. So when we serve a facility or a site, we go once a week, same day, same time, six times in a row. And, and your goal is to have the same group of the actors goal is to have for the that same six weeks. Team. Yes, all of our shows are written for a cast of three. People play multiple parts in each of the shows, but that team of three rapport builds not only amongst the performers, but the children as well, mm -hmm. especially when there's repeat attendance. Um, and the key to the magic of Only Make Believe is the interactive participatory nature of the shows. Absolutely. So the, and I will get back to that actor question. I know I've totally digressed, <laughs> but this is a theater organization. People are going to find right, tangents, right? right? We, we find tangents. <laughs> we find tangents. We explore them, of course. So yes. um, we, when we go once a week for six weeks, we also modify the shows based on the population. Um, so a facility that is maybe an outpatient psychiatric right. therapy facility will get an hour show. Or a facility that is a school with children on the autism spectrum will get a 20 to 25 minute right. experience. Yeah, yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask you guys about. Since you're there with the kids, do the shows kind of change on the fly? Yes. Or, 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 or is it one of those where it's like, okay, we know we're in this facility, so we'll present this show? Or does it kind it's of change the day up? Because once you've been doing Only Make Believe for a certain amount of years, there's some you know repeat facilities. So you know, at this point, I know, for example, like I'm going to a specific school, I know what that population is going to be like. Right. So you know in advance how to amend the show. But this, I mean, like any live theater, but also with children, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like 
every show is its own entity and its own living being. And yes, they a hundred percent get adapted on the fly. And but, even during that six weeks, like you're you're doing same shows or different shows, and each week is completely. It different. depends on the site. Most of them are structured so that each site has a different show every week. Okay. But as Jackie was talking about, sometimes we have kids who are on the autism spectrum, and repetition is helpful. So some of the sites get to see a show twice in a row, or they get to see the same show six times. Yeah. So it really, it really, every site is different and it's tailored to them individually. The whole ethos of Only Make Believe is just to be fun. Right. That the children we serve typically have some really difficult realities going mm -hmm. on outside the room. It is an escape. It is a time to be whatever character they want to be, and they are the stars of the show. Yeah. And a lot of the actors that we work with will say that it's really rewarding in this space and during the time that Only Make Believe is happening. It's not about them on stage. Yeah, and that's why I specifically wanted to have some actors here, because you guys are on the front lines, really, when it comes to dealing with the children. Mm -hmm. And so, Dan, like, what... What has been your experience or what have you drawn from the kids that's different from your other performing duties and mm. gigs that you've had? Uh, well, you know, working at Only Make Believe has made me more nimble and more... F I almost said facile, but that's the wrong word. <laughs> facile? Is yeah. that right? That's, that's, a, right? that's a five dollar word. Look at that. But that yeah. I don't think that's the right one. Facile, nimble. Oh, it's oh. A fa fast, as facile like, is negative. Okay. Nimble is positive. <laughs> Not flaccid. It's that's something different. No. That's something different. We don't, we don't go there. No. Right? I think no. it's right. I think yeah. you're right. Okay. All right. Let's, I'm let's gonna go stay with, with nimble because we never know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like it's made me more nimble as a performer, more nimble as an actor, more ready to um, deal with anything that comes my way, both mm. ad, as an OMB actor and as an actor outside of Only Make Believe. Um, you know, kids, we all know this, we've all been teaching artists, we've all worked with kids. Kids are the most honest audience you will ever have. So if they're bored, they let you know it. If they're excited, let you, they let you know it. If you're wearing a costume that they think is ugly, they'll let you know it. If you're doing something that, um, that they think is incorrect or, you know, they, they're, they're sort of immediate. They don't have yeah. the barriers that adults have right, just when it. you're seeing a play. So, um, I, you know, I, I personally, don't take improv. Jeanette's, Jeanette's a master at improv. I don't take improv classes. He's a master at improv. But just, just, I feel like just doing make believe has has sort of been a great uh, education in improv and being in the moment. And it's it's actually helped me outside of only make believe in in you know real life auditions and real life situations and um, in in addition to you know as actors we sort of get stuck in our heads sometimes mm -hmm. and we think. The whole world revolves around us, and and when you messed up, then everyone sees it. That's it's all they're thinking everyone about. Hates you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just get you know, it's a it's a very egocentric kind of career. You're constantly thinking about how you look and how you sound and what you're wearing. And your brand. Yeah, right exactly. On. Your brand. Um, and uh, doing an only make believe show just sort of puts things in perspective for me. All that kind of goes out the window, yeah. I would imagine. You're like, my problems are minuscule compared to this child who has who has a, a life-threatening illness or who comes from a, a, a difficult home situation. So it helps to keep things in perspective. Absolutely. Working and only make-believe. We've kind of talked about behind the scenes or getting there. What is an actual show like once you're actually at the facility? 
I'll, I'll let anyone take that. <laughs> Wait, so Patrick, in the 10 years, have you never seen an only I have been fortunate enough to be on site at a couple of facilities. Mm -hmm. and, and I've also, as I said, I've seen a lot of the videos and pictures that, mm. that have been taken. And I mean, I'm at my computer, like editing, putting together this video. And I'm just like, oh, that's so sweet. I'm just, it, it is yeah. like, but until you see these kids' faces, and I mean, like, they're in a wheelchair. They're kind of bound by that wheelchair. Mm. Their arms can barely move, but their face is like ecstatic. Yeah. And, and that's, that's yeah. something you can't beat. You can't yeah. match that in any totally. way. So, totally. So yeah, so how does, the, how does the show progress? How does it start? What is it like to be there on the site and doing the show? Dan's the team leader. So the team leader is the person that is, so as the uh, audience comes in, we invite them to get dressed up sometimes. Sometimes we get them dressed up in character in the show, but more often than not, it's at the top of the show. So as they're trickling in, we invite them to the trunk, pick out a costume. The trunk is very important. The yeah. trunk, the trunk yeah. of yes. magic. Right, it's the trunk of and magic. And then as we said, Which for anybody listening is like a steamer trunk, if you imagine, like an old school, and we paint them all fun colors and themes. Yeah, the, yeah. how many trunks do you have currently, do you know? Uh, well, each facility that receives only make-believe is gifted a trunk. Oh, so the trunk stays there. The trunk stays there, yeah. Yes, here it will stay for you to make So we hope that, sorry to interrupt, That's okay. um, but we hope that the trunk will be used all throughout the year, even the time, outside the time, the six weeks that we're there. Oh, I see. So be so a so presence way, in the playroom. Yeah, so that way the kids can go and utilize the, the, yeah, the costumes or whatever is in there. Yeah, we want to imagination and escape all year round. That's wonderful. So the costumes that Jeanette is alluding to live in this trunk that is a, a gift from us. So then it's the team leader who sort of takes charge of the room and is just like, hey, everybody, welcome. Let's get started. Yeah, I mean, like theater outside of Only Make Believe, we try to get there a half hour before the show starts so that we can um, discuss changes that might happen in the show, discuss um, the type of site that it is, like the ladies were talking about, if it's an autistic site, this is how we're going to shorten the show. This is how the this is how the show is going to progress. But also as a team leader, once the kids come in, one of the things that I like to do is sort of take the temperature of the room, because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going into a facility where the kids have had a really rough day, yeah. and so they're coming to you at a point when they either I mean this has happened where they've been fighting with the people at the facility, mm. or when they've just eaten. I mean, something like that can change the temperature of the room. Yeah. Sometimes the kids come to us and they're medicated. So um, once the kids come there, I sort of, we team leaders like take the temperature of the room and then we may decide also on the fly, you know what, this group is a little um, antsy, so why don't we cut this section because they're not gonna sit still for a 45 minute show. Right. So it's all about, um, yeah, it's all about figuring out what the kids can handle. Also, age is a big determinant. You know, if you arrive and there's teenagers, you think, okay, mm -hmm. then we have to. You know, there's a certain level. There's a certain level change when you're when you're doing a show for 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 kindergartners as opposed to when you're doing a show for for teens. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so that has to that has to be sussed out in among the the three actors. And is that so. something that that going into the facility that mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. Jackie, kind mm -hmm. of figure that out like they may be teenagers but maybe they don't act like teenagers like like, like maybe their learning level yeah. is, is below that right. or artistic as you said that they, right. they have certain needs that's something you figure out beforehand yes so the vetting and onboarding of a new facility is a thoughtful process and it happens slowly for good measure so a lot of initial conversations 
I need to learn what their program is like. Is it an after-school program? Would we be in the middle of the school day? Is it whole families? Is it an inpatient situation where it's just the child receiving treatment? Mm. Um, and then what kind of general diagnoses? Is it a psychiatric diagnosis? Um, are they orthopedic patients? And so we'll need to modify physical wow. activities because as you said earlier, maybe they're in chairs. So after a whole host of conversations about making sure we're the right fit, that only make-believe should never be a force fit. It should never feel like we're right. helicoptering in and like, this is the program, it take it or leave it, folks. should fit that particular yeah, that hospital our, or care facility wants. Yeah, it's our job in order to modify so that the children in the audience have the best experience possible. Then I'll go to the site and I'll actually physically eyeball where they think the show would work being free and being in underserved communities, sometimes the facilities really have limited resources. Mm. Um, but yet, it is my job as someone who is also the advocate for our actors that I'm sending them into a facility where they're going to be able to succeed. Right. Where there's going to be enough space, where there's going to be everything that they need in right. order to have a good show. Um, and then we do a trial performance, which is a one-time standalone performance. Also, there's only so much explaining in video someone can see. Like the right, facility right. needs you, to you get a show. Right, right. You kind of have to see it and experience it. Yeah. Because I, I would assume that in these shows, a lot of times the, the, the nurses or the care providers are also there in the room helping mm. with the show. Does that, is that part of it? Yeah, they don't necessarily help with the show, but they're there to keep an eye on the children because... Mm -hmm. Actually, they have to be there. It's, uh, I think it's a liability oh, group well, of course. that yeah. adults have to be in the room. Uh, people who know the kids have to be there with us. Staff of this facility. Exactly. Right. There's exactly. a whole host of other privacy laws, and there's a lot of structure. There's a lot of clearance. Yeah, I, I imagine there is a lot of like yeah, legality. Yeah, and because HIPAA I spoke, privacy laws. Because I spoke with with Dina last week, and she was mentioning that there are a lot of like legal hurdles, especially post 9/11, uh, just getting into to hospital because she was talking like about how, how easy yeah. it was in 99 to just kind of come and go from hospital, but not then so, no. not anymore. Now you have to get clearance and paperwork and just a lot of, of a hurdles huge to go lift through. for me administratively, I bet. making sure we're crossing all our T's and each facility has different mm -hmm. preferences. Of course, you know. So I wouldn't yeah. have it any other way too because I actually don't want to be performing in a room with just me and the children. I want to have someone in there who knows them and who can. Because you, you might have a reaction from a child that, that I'm not equipped to handle. Does that sometimes happen where a child, something happens and they have to be escorted out? Sure. Yes. Medical issue? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had children get violent in the room. I've had children curse us out. Yeah. I've had children wow. throw, throw things at me and, or us. I, I, I assume <laughs> that they are kindly escorted out of the Most room. Most of the time? Yeah, I mean, Most I think it's important to say that... The examples Dan just gave are extreme. You know, oh, we're in, oh, oh, and in psychiatric facilities where there's severe psychological trauma that right. children are battling back from. And so, um, you know, we try to be really sensitive and understand that it's nothing to do with us or the mm -hmm. show of course, yeah. or whatever they're dealing with outside the room. You know, what's interesting is that in... It's your acting, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the acting. That's okay. not a surprise. Yeah, none of that stuff has ever happened yeah, to me. You, you triggered them. You triggered them, Dan. <laughs> if, if audiences in real plays were allowed to throw chairs, I'm sure I'd have a lot of chairs to right? But, but, you know, Dan speaking of audiences, fails. speaking of audiences outside of OMB, like, yes, as as writers and also as, as actors, we take into consideration what how is the audience going to res respond to this mm. or just my blocking on stage making sure they can mm. see me and so mm -hmm. we're considered but it as you were describing it Jackie it seems like this is it's almost like 10 times 100 times 
you really have to consider who the audience is, what, what, they're, what they're wanting, what they're needing, and how to cater the show to them. He's something that Dan and I talked about a long time ago, which was really interesting, is I was learning as a performer actor myself how to manage actors. Um, sometimes we are with populations who are nonverbal, who mm. cannot speak um, and are non-ambulatory and can't walk, and so you don't... And a silent audience. Completely yeah. can be, silent. Can be unnerving. Completely yeah. silent, you know, like very medically fragile, very challenged. Mm. Um, and we had this conversation about, like, how do I read how it's going? You know, I'm like, oh, how, yeah. you know, and um, mm. I think there's a number of ways, as you said earlier, facial expression, um, and then just trusting and knowing that the chance to be around music and sensory stimulation and their peers, and you know, if they are in a long-term pediatric nursing home, to be out of their room. Yeah, yeah, um, just to get out of the bed is, or get out of their room. Is yeah, hugely important, and just to trust in that and lean on the support of your fellow actors on stage and have fun and play and know that that's enough. The people at the site, the, our contacts at the site are also helpful because they will say, mm. they will, actu mm. they will yeah, actually sure give not. us positive feedback like saying, you know, Johnny will react this way, it means he's happy. Mm. Johnny may do this, it means he's really liking what he's hearing. Or they'll say something like, Johnny listens really well, yeah. so he can hear you. Yeah, and okay. so the staff is sometimes very helpful in, in supporting us when we're at sites where we don't get a lot of response. I've gone to sites where they've said, listen, we've arrived and they said, listen, they may not be, they may not be physically or verbally reacting, but we know from our experience that they're going to enjoy what you're doing. Okay. Um, yeah. We can see the signs. And so trust yourselves. That happens a lot. So walk me through, just you can pick one of the shows that uh, I guess one of your more popular shows maybe, and just walk me through what it's like and how you interact with the kids exactly during those shows. So as we uh, started talking about, so there's, there's actually an Only Make Believe theme song. Right. We started clapping for you. <laughs> um, and sort of an, an opening epilogue, if you will, a not really a monologue, but sort of that, that sets the tone for all of the shows and they all begin the same way. It starts with our theme song. It starts with sort of like a call and response to let them know like the this framework of the show. Yes. point at Wolf, uh, we, we say, you know, um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go, real or imaginary? And this is a way to start to get, to get the kids to respond back to us, to let them know that this is not just a, we're performing and you'll watch us, but this is like an interactive show. So tell us where you want to go. And then it's like, well, let's see where we're going to go today. Yeah. And then uh, we go behind the curtain, which is our backstage. And the show begins. So it really just, it, we, we have that sort of pre-show show, if you will. Yeah, because yeah, you them. really have to sort let the kids thing. know that this is as much them performing and acting mm -hmm. along yeah. with you guys. And then um, that sets the scene, the framework for starting the show. So we just sort of go behind the curtain. There's a moment of pause. And then come out in character and the show begins. Yeah. And the so, shows are scripted. The shows are narrative driven. The shows all have a story and every week it's different. It's a different story. So, um, you know, I like to say it's like doing any other show. 
We all get to change costumes. We all get to play different characters. You know, a lot of people think we go in and just sing and do puppets and that there's no structure. But the shows are actually... The, shows. the stories yeah. are structured shows. They're mm-hmm. like any other. Ask our newest actors that just came off their rehearsal process. I, There's a lot to get off book so, so much. So, so yeah. how many did you yeah. say? 14 shows? or Yes, but there's six in the field at any given okay. time. So in order but, to make it more palatable for the office and yeah. all of the props and costumes we need to send out into the field, we can be in upwards of 10 facilities at once. That's a very busy six-week cycle yeah, for yeah. us. 10 performances a week. Our lighter time is five shows a week. Yeah. So um, we do the same show typically. We modify when we need to. So week one might be Eco Babe, which is our underwater adventure. The next week might be Rick Spacey, which is our space adventure. The next week might be Briar Rose, which is our bratty princess and the magical fairy godmother who teaches her a lesson or two, right? And we and all facilities that same week get that same script. And then for an actor who might be on multiple, we call cycles, so Tuesday at 11 a.m. or Friday at 4 p.m., that can be helpful because only make believe is, a, is a Rolodex in your head. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it really, it really yeah. is. And you yeah, are yeah. going like, blah, 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 blah. okay, great. And then you can tap into that script for that week yeah. and slide in and out and then, you know, leave only make believe and then go do your show that you're in right. with an 8 p.m. curtain. But speaking to the learning <laughs> process, when you first get hired, I, yeah, I was trying to explain to people. I was learning, t- they're like 30 pages long, each script. So not sure. So that's like a one act. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to tell people I was learning 10 one acts <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> and I needed to be off book within three weeks. Uh, and people were like, what? what? That's why? Cool. Jackie, what are you doing to them? It's not quite that. It feels like that. Jackie. It's not quite that. Maybe not three weeks. It's really not. We So it's a really a three-month rehearsal process. 300, 300 pages in three weeks. That's, that, that's, that's <laughs> what I heard. Normal. 300 pages in three weeks. It was a lot. It was a lot, and I was very stressed out about it, and everyone was like, don't worry about it. I mean, as a lot of the actors were trying to tell me when I was like very stressed out about this process, they said, you know, like once you have them under your belt... You do them for years, so and and they start to change a little bit. So once you get through that, really that that hurdle of the memorization process for all of the shows, then you can start to live in the shows a little yeah. bit. And it's less about getting the lines right and knowing about where you can play with the audience and knowing about where you can play with the actors and like that. Then that fun part starts. Yeah, the character development is is essential. Yes, the lines yeah. help with that, but it's really about the characters and connecting. With the kids. New actors say it takes about a year to get your sea legs. I, I can only imagine. I would say that. Yeah, I, yeah. Would, I would agree with Because if you're starting out with, with six or ten shows at once... Yeah, so we'll rehearse that, people right. on six just to get them out in the field because also I think, again, from experience, that rehearsing in a vacuum and never being in the field with the kids starts yeah. to be a drag. And, and plus being with actors who've been there before yeah. and that helps as well, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. One instance that, that Dina talked about, and I hadn't actually heard of this before, is... Sometimes children are obviously in ICU or or they're kept off uh, in in their own rooms. And there have been shows that have been done via phone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how does that work exactly? Or closed circuit TV. Or or closed circuit TV. Yeah, yeah. For a camera. Yeah. And it gets piped into the rooms. That's right, yeah. And and so is that where the actors are in a separate room? Like a TV studio. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And then each of the kids' rooms has a monitor and they get... So then how do you, how do you get that feedback then? So you know, it's really interesting. This is an, another facet in my role as artistic director is modifying the show. So we for those shows, we have a full prompt list, sound cue list, 
um, and there's someone running a board and there is a green screen and we give them in advance the narrative arc and mm -hmm. what backgrounds should take place and then we send a summarized list of prompt questions for volunteers who may be on the unit, nurses, for the kids in the room. So the entry points in the shows, which are written in, um, we set them up to succeed. Yeah. So at this point, okay, let's call in and tell everybody what your favorite flavor of ice cream and, is. And, and all the kids and you guys can hear what, what, what people say. And then it's piped say. into the studio over speaker. That's yeah. They basically like That's dial really an extension from yeah. their room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the, the te telephone rings, yeah. like in the Hello. studio. Yeah. And we talk to somebody. Oh, fun. It's like a telephone. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and the facility staff will let the actors know who's watching, or at least who's on the unit, Yeah. Um, and give a list of names. And so then the actors can, into the camera, say, Hi, Sally. Hi, Lisa. I mean, this is a. a Specialized yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These I are, realize this yeah, is a very special, one, but it, like it was just one facility out of the it, many does this. But um, but that it's just seems really like one of the more interesting lovely. and intricate yeah. shows to kind of get all the pieces working yeah. together. Quite a variety of sites. Like when I joined the company, and you really think you know what you're signing up for. Like there's so many more skills than you. And you're think on a green screen <laughs> answering a phone. Yes. Yeah, it's like well, that's part of the show. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And like I said, and, and knowing all the details and how each facility works, and um, that. You couldn't prepare for it, honestly. So taking a step back, we'll go back in a little time machine before only make believe for all of you. So, so what was what was your performing career? We'll start with Jack and go around the circle. Oh, wow. What was your performing career like before mm. you joined the Only Make Believe? So I moved to New York for college, and I went to NYU Tisch undergrad and studied at Stella Adler, which is literally on this block. No, no, yeah, it's all right so here. It's so funny to walk Aww, by my old stomping ground yeah. every day. Um, and then after I graduated, I was doing the traditional pounding of the pavement. Mm -hmm. um, I had temp jobs, I was nannying, I was a terrible waitress. <laughs> um, I started a theater company with some fellow graduates. Right, as you do. Um, just trying to work. Yeah. And then I thought, this sucks. <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> I want to go back into the bubble. I want to go to grad school. So I did the MFA audition circuit and was invited to do a summer intensive at ART. It was during that summer where I saw a job listing go out on the Tisch alumni listserv for in student affairs on campus at NYU doing arts programming at the Bronfman Center on campus. And I was like, I want to go back, right? Like I was just feeling lost and right. scared and who doesn't want to go home again? So I loved NYU. So I was like, I want to work at NYU. Um, I applied, I got the job. And so I was continuing my theater career and auditioning while having this stage job on campus doing arts programming. And was programming. it full time? Um, it was 30 hours a week. So and they were much, really It was, but, but they were flexible. really understanding. Yeah. And they wanted an artist in the role to be able to relate to student artists. Yeah. But it was through that I was first introduced to not only that arts programming um, was a thing, but this intersection of arts and activism. Mm -hmm. um, there was in the 
building I worked in, a student gallery. And one of my jobs, which I loved, and I come totally, I'm a theater animal, um, but I was running this, I was curating this art gallery and had some fascinating exhibitions um, yeah. in that space. And it was, that was like a huge light bulb for me. And then I started thinking about grad school again, but in a different way. Yeah. About how I could parlay this desire. Right, to more, more theater that makes a difference, that makes an impact yes, in some way. Yes, and so I was part of the first entering class. Um, Tish launched a new master's program. I was new at the time, it's not now. It's really grown, which is wonderful, um, in arts and public policy, arts politics. Yeah. And there were eight of us in that first cohort. Guinea it pigs. was, I mean, like Karen Finley was one of my professors. Oh my God, no. yeah. yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Um, and I finished that. And then something called 2008 happened. Right, the when crash. The world melted. The big crash. And I graduated with two degrees <laughs> from Tish. Yeah. <laughs> right? Two degrees from Tish in 2008. And, um, you know, I had a job briefly after finishing my master's that was not totally the right fit, but I needed a job, and I just kept looking and looking and looking. But I was going to be really picky. I wasn't yeah. going to just apply to anything. If I was leaving, if I was stopping auditioning, which felt like a huge... Oh, I mean, you go through all the yeah, things, yeah. right? It, like, it feels like a letdown. It's like, I failed. Why am I quitting? Why I mean, I... I'm so... I'm like super Jewish, right? Like in terms of culturally, right? Like the way I grew up. Like, and so I was like at synagogue on the holidays. I mean, like, you know, Mrs. Schwartzbaum's like, when are we going to see you on the Broadway? Right? right? I'm like, Mrs. Schwartzbaum, I'm not auditioning anymore. I'm actually, I'm going into arts administration. Like, well, we'll still see you on the Broadway. <laughs> and right? we do every and November. I, right. every, at our yeah. gala. So I had to be okay with that. And mm -hmm. that sucked yeah. for a little bit. But everything I was doing that was moving me away from the actual performance from actually going on soulless Heineken beer commercial auditions which was actually like the day hey. that I was like I can't do this anymore no digs to people who like make their living on truly right I, like I, I do commercials gotta so do it. it gotta yeah. do it um what I was doing that was pulling me away from all of that traditional acting stuff felt so rewarding and felt creatively stimulating. And then when I saw the job posting for this particular position, it was sort of this unicorny thing because I was mm -hmm. still getting to be not just arm's length, but like in the trenches still with actors, yeah. which is my DNA. So have you ever done a show um, yet? I have, I haven't done a show in the field. Jackie, you should stop in. I, I know. know. <laughs> I mean, you must know all the shows at this um, point. I do, I yeah, do. Yeah, of course you um, do. But then also the activism piece and then you know, there's a part of me that's type A, let's just be real. And I yeah. like the organizational piece. You can't you can't manage eighteen people in three hundred and seventy shows if you don't if you like don't have, some yeah, sort of structure facet of organization. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my Especially managing deal. people like Jeanette and Dan, right? right? I'm right? so that's, unruly. That's why I drink. <laughs> I've always wanted to so, so, so Jeanette, yeah, tell us about your your time before Only Make Believe took you away. I don't think there was a time before and a time after. It's, it's just been a long stretch of ins and outs. Yeah, a long journey. But I'm trying to think about what I was doing specifically before 2013. And I think it honestly was very much like Jackie's story. Um, it's a it's a it's a crazy career of of tons of things and then tons of nothings at the same time. Yeah. Um, I also applied for grad school uh, right around 2009. I actually uh, um, auditioned two years worth 
and ultimately got offered a slot at New School, which I decided not to do mm. um, because I was looking at their alumni list and uh, I felt like it was a lot of things that were in my reach without spending $120,000. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I totally and understand it's the that. only yeah. it's the only degree you can get where you spend that much money and you don't necessarily have a guarantee that things will be better on the other end than you were when you started. Yep. Well, well, I mean, that, that's that's kind of the one thing about acting and performing and, and really any of us in the in the theater is that you can train, you can mentor, you can like you can do the one-on-ones, you can all these things, but it it comes down to those 90 seconds in the room. Yeah. And if you're what they need or not. Yeah. And it doesn't matter you, you can have a great resume, but if you, they don't like it, My friend like Scott it. likes to say it is the only job in the world that makes zero sense. No. Like, it makes literal... If you talk about from a business perspective, mm-hmm. like, he's like, this is a failed business. You put so much money into it, and you don't get a return. That is, by definition, a failed business. Like, this yeah. doesn't work. And I'm like, I know, but I love it. You know, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, it was just a lot of um, independent films. Right out of school, I did the national tour of Sesame Street Live. There you go. Which was memory that I will always treasure, cherish and treasure at the same time. Um, so performing for kids has just been in your blood for you know, a while. It's, it's uh, right out of school. My very first job that I got booked booked for um, that I landed was with a company that's now uh, folded called the Shoestring Players. And they're, oh. I don't know, do you know the Pushcart Players? I've heard Pushcart, yeah. They, yeah. We were, they were our number one competitors. Uh-oh. We'd be like both in the van <laughs> together on the highway. We'd see them and we were like, screw you guys. But it was the same idea. <laughs> Because, you know, you work with kids, like, you know, you got to let that out somehow. Right. It's all about the kids, but it's all about... Until you're in the van on the It's all about who gets there first, right? There's room for everybody. There you go. Well, apparently not, because Shoestring is not around anymore. Oh, no, but only because their founder passed away. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, So it was, it came out of... I'm just constantly putting my foot in my mouth. How would you know? It it came out of Mason Gross. Oh, no. No, it's all going in. It's all staying in. It came out of Mason Gross, and the idea was it was very similar to Only Make Believe in that you don't need a lot to create theater. It's based on imagination. So we didn't even have costumes. We um, There were eight of us, and we had a male and a female that wore red and yellow and blue and green, and we would go into schools and do assembly shows, and they were always like nine in the morning and maybe a one o'clock. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they were short stories based on folk tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything we did, we made with our bodies. So if you're doing fire, for example, mm-hmm. you would all get in a circle, and we would go, fire, 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 fire. She's and doing a cool thing with her hands. Sorry, yeah, but you hear it too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, you, like if you have six people saying, Her hands are moving in a flame-like fire, pattern. Like it starts fire. to sound a little bit right. like fire, and or you know, we'd build the eagle or whatever. Yeah. So um, She just made wings. <laughs> I love this piece. Don't you love an audio? Yeah, I want yeah. someone to walk around New York City with me like, she just took out her iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, a She's running commentary. Yeah. <laughs> She's having that feeling again. <laughs> she might get a bagel or maybe a smoothie. Yeah, and my background in improv, I did improv for about 10 years. So there were a lot of elements that led me to only make believe. Monsieur Dan. Oh boy. I know. So I started in 2007. So by that, at that point, I had been out of grad school for four years. So you're the elder statesman of all of us because you, you started before all of us. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> no, but only, just, only an experience. Only believe elder statesman. Right, yes. right. Only, I, only an elder. I think I'm probably the oldest in the room. Right I don't know. Now. Anyway. Don't know. When we're moving on. <laughs> I had probably, I had been out of grad school for four years. And to be honest, things were not 
progressing well. Like I wasn't getting work. I had agents, but they weren't doing much for me. Um, I was at a crossroads in a way. And um, I'm not at a crossroads. I mean, I always, I never ever thought of throwing in the towel and giving up acting because it was really the only thing I had wanted to do for a long time. Um, but I, I, I went to college originally at, in, at Penn State for filmmaking. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge movie buff and I thought I wanted to make movies. After I got out of Penn State, I realized I didn't want to make movies. <laughs> but I got my degree in filmmaking. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in filmmaking from Penn State. I worked at a um, production company for a year and a half making commercials and industrials. I didn't know. We're learning so much about this. I know. And and I was I was pretty miserable for that year and a half. I was hired by one of my professors at school. That's awesome. He had his own production company and he saw something in me. I was organized, um, and he he said, "Come and be a producer at my company." Uh, And so this was all mostly behind the scenes, not necessarily. Yeah, not no performing at all. It was all about. Uh, I, I was actually I cast people. I I had I held casting oh, sessions. There you go. I put together bud like I did. I was yeah. a producer. I did oh, all that wow. kind of stuff. It took me to place. I, I got to go to L.A. a couple of times. So, yeah. but I wasn't happy, and I uh, I I was working on an industrial for asthma, and um, I met this actress who I cast out of New York. We had casting sessions in Philly. I cast her. She, I was uh, sort of watching over her as producer. We brought her to Pennsylvania. She was shooting. And um, she said, she said to me, "You don't look happy. What's up with you?" Wow. And I, and I said, oh, I "She called know. you out." Yeah, she did. She said, "I don't know. I'm just rethinking, you know, my life and and my job." And she she said, "Well, what's something you've always wanted to do?" And I said, "I've always wanted to to try acting, what you're doing." Mm. And she said, "Do it now. Quit your job, go to New York, because I'm from New Jersey. So move back home, take some classes in New York, do it now, or else you'll regret yeah. never doing it." Yeah. And so because of her, I quit my job. Wow. Moved back in with my parents. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I got in there for two years, loved it, discovered what I wanted to do, got out, had another two years of just sort of flailing around. I ended up doing I ended up doing a van kids tour like Jeanette for ten months in New Jersey. With with George Street Playhouse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I auditioned for that. For ten months we went to hundreds of schools it seems yeah. like in New Jersey and we did these kids shows yeah um, and then after that I went to grad school I went to ART in Boston and spent two years there and then after that is when my career my acting career I want to say really started because yeah. that's when I was had agents and was pursuing it in earnest but at the time of only make-believe things were not going well and so I actually need, needed something to so only make believe was kind of a survival Frank, job. Frankly, fill, fill my time. <laughs> right. Fill right. my time, fill my performing void. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. getting a chance to perform Until you get those other roles that you wanted or other jobs that you wanted. Y- yeah. It, it, you saw only make believe as kind of as, uh, an in-between, a transition. Yeah, into- I mean, frankly, it was something to do. And it was, right. it was something, it was a chance to perform. It was a chance to get paid to perform, which wasn't happening at the time. Right. Um, it was sort of fortuitous that I ran into Vivia. Vivia and I knew each other from that George Street tour. Oh my God, so, no way. Yeah, so it's a We small all just world. came it, out it of all, New comes, Jersey Kitty shows. Yeah. It all comes full circle. I mean, something that Dan just alluded to, which I think is really special about Only Make Believe in terms of what it's like to be an actor and work for Only Make Believe is we deeply respect that all of our performers are working actors that mm-hmm. have other things going on outside of Only Make Believe. And so we do afford a modicum of flexibility to, if necessary, sub off of a show that you've booked with us because the nature of being a rep company is very helpful. I can pull from the 
other actors in our company to step in for Jeanette if she gets a really big audition or is in rehearsal for something and can't do her only make-believe show. So we do have checks and balances around it because consistency amongst the three that are on the cycle and the rapport with the kids is right. important. So it's not willy-nilly, you know, like ask for a sub whenever you need it. But we do want to give our performers that that option. And I think that's also in large part not only the rewarding nature of the work, which is huge, um, and the fact that they are not volunteers, they are paid, mm -hmm. um, but that flexibility that it's not all or nothing um, you can still have other things going on and be a part of Only Make Believe is why people are with us 11 years, 8 years, 5 years. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good point that you bring up is that the actors, you, you guys are paid. And, that, and I, yes. when I spoke to Tina, she said that that was something that was very important, that the actors are working actors yeah. and they're paid for... The, the work that they do. Yeah, I mean, I know that you spoke with Dina and that our conversation will be part of an episode on your show yeah. highlighting the wonderful organization that she started and I really, really need to hand it to her. She's founded something so important and beautiful and that values the artists that need it in order to survive. Um, and the fact that Only Make Believe is heading into soon its 20th year yeah, in New no, York City yeah, um, year is, is a yeah. testament to that and to her vision and her understanding that artists deserve to feel valued. Speaking of, of value, on, on the flip side of that, the kids are really, is the reason why Only Make Believe exists. And for you guys as actors, what is it about Only Make Believe that has kept you here and keeps you coming back and being part of their acting company? One of the things that's really special to me is, I truly, I mean, being an actor is really hard. Like, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of people, I see people, I have conversations with people who are struggling with it. And I talk about how, for me, and I didn't realize I needed this at the time, but what I realized was that um, being able to use my art uh, in a pro-forward way in order, as I think I mentioned at the top, like to give back to my community, to use my skills as an actor to help someone heal and to see how something that I do that I love could help bring change through love and imagination in some other human being, it just fulfills something in my soul that I didn't realize was missing. Ditto. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Dan, in, all, in all seriousness. Dan, you have a way with words. <laughs> I have such a way with word. Oh, um, word. <laughs> no, but uh, in, in, in all honesty, uh, absolutely what Jeanette said. I agree wholeheartedly. I was also looking for, I think... The reason I was flailing when I got out of grad school is that I didn't have a community. I didn't have a theater company that I was a part of. I didn't have a group of actors that I was getting together with every week yeah. and reading plays. And what Only Make Believe provides is a place to go and act with other actors. There's like the company of actors, all 18 actors, I consider some of my closest artistic friends now. Um, and I've since, I've since become a part of uh, theater companies in the city where, um, where people will call you up and say, hey, let's get together and read this play, or do you want to do this one act, or we're, we're going to produce this night of uh, scenes. And so I think what I was struggling with was not having people to 
creative people to spend time with, and that's what Only Make Believe yeah. gives me, yeah. um, is a place to come back to and a place to um, have fun with other actors. It's like a playground. We see each other, yeah, almost sometimes three times a week. It yeah. depends on who you're with, but uh, oftentimes we have sites that are outside of the city and they include an hour-long drive or whatnot. And I feel like a lot of Only Make Believe actors know more about what's going on in my life <laughs> than like other people in my life. Um, yeah. Just because we see each other pretty those regularly. Van rides. Those van rides will... Those van rides. You'll, you'll have some conversations <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I didn't mean to talk about that, but here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. had those. Had those. So as artistic director, mm. how does it feel to hear your actors talk about how it's not only rewarding to the kids, obviously that's the focal point, but mm. it's rewarding to them mm. themselves as actors? I'll tell you, it makes my job joyful. Um, I don't know how many theater companies can say that in a group of 18 artists, there is this level of camaraderie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is because that competitive, um, stressful uh, industry piece mm. isn't part of what this is about. Mm. We can yeah. just be Very creative true. together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's really a joy, yeah, as yeah. I said, to be able to help and guide and support really talented people in delivering this program mm -hmm. to children who need it. And I, and I think that that's important for all of us as, as entertainers, as performers, as people in the arts, is that, yes, we, we, we come out of school, we, we, we have these big visions of, well, I'm going to be on Broadway, or I'm going to make a movie, or I'm going to, you know, we have these, these lofty goals and dreams that are wonderful to shoot for, but it, it takes time for each of us to kind of figure out what, what's really going to make me happy and mm -hmm. what's really going to fulfill me. Yeah. Yes, these goals, are, they're still out there in front of me, but where I am right now, I'm touching that kid's life. I'm working with these wonderful actors that are like my family. It's the moments that once you start to not be so, you know, mm -hmm. on, on the other side of the mountain, what's, what's over there and really start to see what's around you. Mm. That, that's something that I myself have had to learn, just being content in the moment and mm -hmm. where I am. And in the in-betweens, too. Um, yeah. We're, we have an awful way of, of telling ourselves that when we're booked and when we're rehearsing... Then we're then worthy, like, we're making it. Then we're, we're in a good place, we're in a happy place, we're in the place we're supposed to be. So that automatically means that when you're not working, that your life is not good. Mm -hmm. And to try to balance out those emotions like, I think that's the struggle of being an actor is to mm. what's the core of it so that you're not riding that I'm booked I'm not booked I'm booked I'm not booked wave yeah. but that you're just you whether you work or mm. not and I mean mm. this level of support and camaraderie does extend to big career wins I mean Jeanette and I a few weeks ago went to see a fellow company member on Broadway yeah. um, and we were really excited for him and that was at least in my experience, like not tinged at all with, or from any other company member of, you know, like jealousy, like we're pumped. 
We're so excited for that person. That's wonderful. Um, I'm like, just before we came in and sat down with you, the three of us, Dan, Jeanette, and I were talking about going to see an off-Broadway show that yet another company member is in and like looking at dates and wanting to support people and what they do outside of the company. So it, it extends over. And all the things we said earlier about why people stay and the rewarding natures of, of being a part of Only Make Believe, I also think it is never It's never the, the same. same. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, that, well, that's actually and what so I was going to ask. so fresh and interesting every so, time. So for, for Jeanette and Dan, where do you see yourself? Do you, do you see yourself with OMB for years to come? Or is this maybe a launch point to other things? Or, or maybe you want to start your own company? Or like... What are your what are your aspirations, or where do you see yourself going in the next few years? I mean, I will be with Only Make Believe as long as they'll have me. Yeah. And as long as I'm, you know, don't have back problems. <laughs> as long as you can be a team leader. As long as I can be a team leader. <laughs> I just want to be in I, I don't have a cane. Right. Or, or unless a walker. It's, unless it's part of your your costume. A part of the character. Right. No, that's one of the things I've been really inspired by is that there's not. Um, there's not a, a high turnover here. It's mm -hmm. not. There's not a sense of like actors coming and leaving for better things. Um, and even as Jackie said, like people might go for a Broadway show and then come back. And so that's made me realize this is not this is not a job that you take lightly. Yeah. This is something that you commit to. And and also more to that point, I don't know that there's really anything else that's like this mm -hmm. and that fulfills so many things that I now need in my life, which mm -hmm. I didn't know I needed back in 2012. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as long as it's operating, I don't see, given its flexibility and given the beautiful family that we've created, like why you would go. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're welcome for as long as you want to be. Some people have left and gone on to like more civilian traditional jobs and still do this on the side. Yeah. So you don't have to like just be an actor anymore. Yeah, it's yeah just like, like you were saying, this is a family. And once you're in a family, yeah, you're in it. Yeah. You're in it. Yeah. You're stuck with us, Jackie. Right, yeah, <laughs> you're stuck with us. I'm telling you, I'm getting that vodka out of my drawer. Right, right. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're great. They're the best. Well, thank you all so much. This was, I mean, I've, as I said, I've been with the the company volunteering and on staff uh, for <laughs> for a while, but I I still learn new things every time I come in and volunteer, and so it's so wonderful to get to sit down. We're with so you. glad to have you, Patrick. Thank Absolutely. you, Patrick. Thank you Absolutely. so much. This is such an important part of the organization. Thank you for inviting us to chat with you. Absolutely. That is our show. It's time to go. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista. Sayonara. Sayonara. See ya later. See ya later. Oh. To find out more about Only Make Believe, go to their website, onlymakebelieve.org. Read about those involved with the organization and about the upcoming OMB Gala on November 5th here in New York City. You can also learn more about volunteering and how to donate your time and resources to this worthy cause. Next week on Why I'll Never Make It is actor John McGinty from the recent Broadway revival of Children of a Lesser God. He talks about life before Broadway and those who helped him along the way. You don't want to miss this very special episode. Until next time, I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this has been the Spotlight Series, a presentation of the Wild Never Make It podcast. Take care. Take care.